my guest, Michael Kaler, went to Brazil in 2004, and an evangelist by the name of Randy Clark started praying for him. And take it from there, Michael. What happened? Well, as he uh, continued to pray for me, uh, I was receiving uh, like revelation in you know how we have natural and spiritual eyes. It's like my spiritual eyes and natural eyes were becoming one and opening. And uh, as he was praying for me, I was having this huge fire encounter. Now, when you say fire, uh, I, I, I have felt the warmth of the Holy Spirit. I've never really felt uh, what is described as a fire. Is that what you really mean? It's, it's that hot? Oh, it's that hot. In fact, someone was taking pictures of it. I thought, you, you hold on to those pictures. Don't you give me any money? Because it looked like someone had just poured water all over me because I was perspiring so so much because I was so hot. I mean, it was it was the fire. Hey, do you have those pictures? I'd like to look at them. Uh, actually, I think we do. Okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll see you in a few weeks. I want you to bring them. Okay, well, but then you saw your angel for the first time, right. and you saw another angel, and then what happened? Well, uh, this went on probably a half an hour. I'm down uh, receiving this uh from the from the Lord, and I sort of come to and realize, you know, something's going on here in a wonderful way, because I was so desperate. I was hungry for more of God, so hungry for Him. I was tired of, you know, the disciplines. I needed some, I needed some passion, and uh, so I was with Randy there, and from there we go to uh, another meeting, and this manifestation, this impartation was not like a one-time event. Uh, when we're at this meeting, uh, I'm sitting on stage with Randy, and he's ministering to like, you know, probably about 2,500 four-square pastors. Mm-hmm. And he makes a mention about what had just happened to me. And uh, he says, you know, he talked about where he prayed for Heidi Baker and the fire had come on her. And he said, there's a pastor with me on this team. And the same thing happened. And when he did, he waved his hand towards me. And I'm telling you, Sid, it was like someone turned a mist water mist on me. I mean, I tangibly, again, I tangibly felt something come over me. It was the strangest thing. And as it did, I I start, once again, I start shaking in my chair. And I'm, I'm thinking, what is going on here? And as I begin to shake, I'm literally bent over in my chair, sitting there, and I can't get up. And I, I'm sort of getting embarrassed because, you know, I'm sitting up there in front of everybody. And I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a sort of reserved kind of guy. And so I'm thinking, okay, I'll just sit here. I'll stay bent over. I'm shaking a little bit. And, you know, because I didn't want to distract from what Randy was doing. But the problem then is my feet started running in place. I mean, I'm sitting in a chair. I'm bent over. I can't get up. I'm shaking. And my feet start running. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, what what is going on here? And, again, you know, part of me wants to say, stop it, stop it. And I, But the, the hunger inside of me just says, no, just let it happen. Let God do what he wants to do. I mean, he did some strange things, and, you know, in the Old Covenant, so I thought, okay, we'll just let's go with this. Well, this began to happen. And the next thing, again, I know is I fall out. I'm laying on the floor behind Randy while he's teaching, and I start laughing again it's similar to what happened when i was a uh, uh, younger like when i was 18 i had an encounter like that and i began to laugh so hard that i can't stand up and as soon as i try to stand up it's like someone takes the floor and tilts it and i fall flat just laughing and laughing and and this goes on and on and someone from the audience uh, by this time randy had called you know if you want prayer come forward well someone jumped up on stage and jumped on my back and held me around my neck. And I'm going, what? What's going on? Why is he doing that? Well, I asked my translator. I said, what's he doing? And she said, oh, he wants what you've got. (laughs) Oh, I got it. (laughs) But I could only hold him for a little bit, and I I finally just sort of flung him off and said, I'm sorry, you're just going to have to go get it yourself. I I don't know what to do. and so this this impartation just kept going. I couldn't quit laughing. It was, you know, it was a very similar kind of thing. And they car- literally, I mean, this is ridiculous, but they carried me out and put me on the bus. And the next thing I know, uh, you know, we stopped to get some uh, a snack. And I'm in the restaurant. They, they helped me get in the restaurant. I'm standing in the restaurant. 
and I see, oh, there's some chocolate milk over here, so I want to get up and get some. But as soon as I stand up, the restaurant floor flips, and I'm laying in the middle of a restaurant floor in Brazil laughing again, and I couldn't stop it. And, you know, I, I, I don't I didn't care. At that point, I really didn't care because what was going on was amazing. While I was laying on the stage, I didn't tell you this part, but I was like whisked away uh, into an angelic realm. I saw this darkness. I saw these angels. I saw this stuff that I'd never seen before. And I, as I kept watching, it's like someone took me and brought me to the, the front of this room and as I'm standing in the door space of this room, it's there's angels in there and they're moving around and suddenly they all like line up, and I hear this uh, this voice say, "They are here for you." And the thought of you know ministering spirit sent to minister to the elect sort of came into mind. And so after all this happens is about the time they start carrying me out of the building. That was huge. Uh, that impact to realize like you know what, God never called us to minister under our own power. That, uh, you know, if he calls us to do something, he calls us to do something uh, with him in mind, you know, and with his abilities. And so, you know, even though it was, I can't maybe explain everything and why it happened the way it did in this particular second uh, story, I have to tell folks, you know, all I can say is you've got to look at the fruit. You know, I can't explain all this, but I can say look at the fruit of what's happened. And um, now, just out of curiosity, did the angels or did the Lord speak to you during these various encounters? Well, it was during the second one. Yeah, I, it was. I think it was. Honestly, I think it was an angel said, "You know, show me these angels." That these angels were like assigned to me. Assigned. They. I heard these are here for you, and I think it had a lot to do with just living life in ministry, understanding that I'm, I'm not alone. You know, that someone is going with me, that where I go, the fire follows, but it's not my fire, it's the fire of the Holy Spirit kind of thing. And uh, because I'll be honest with you, Sid, before I went down there, I was just like ready to quit. And after that event, after those encounters, my life and my family's life, our ministry turned 180 degrees in the opposite direction. And I have seen, we have seen more miraculous events and supernatural activity in these past several years than I had seen my entire ministry put together. Before. Oh, the, the, wait a second, Michael. <laughs> the anointing is coming again really strong. You know, there's some, there's, there is what's called the power of the testimony. As you are reliving this by sharing it, the anointing is getting so strong that I believe you could pray for an impartation right now over the air. Oh, that sounds great. Holy Spirit, I just want to thank you that you are faithful, and your ear is always tuned to the, the cry of the hunger on the hungry heart, Lord. And Holy Spirit, as if uh, I was right there, I, I lay my hands upon those listening, and I just release your impartation. I release a transference of fire. I release a transference of the manifestation of the power of your kingdom into those that are listening right now. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come in great power. I ask that you would release healing fire. Come now. That there would uh, even be those that would begin to feel in their hands. They'll begin to get fire in their hands. And that's just a sign of that wonderful healing gift. And um, Holy Spirit, I thank you that... Uh, some are even beginning to feel a warm sensation start uh, on their head, almost like honey that will just uh, trickle down. Uh, Lord, I want to thank you for that. And, and Lord, even some are beginning to shake and cry because of, of your presence, Lord. And So, Lord, I'm asking that you would increase that, that you'd give them more than what they're asking for. Lord, give them more than what they think they deserve. Lord, give them more. Lord, fulfill their hunger in such an amazing way that they'll just fall passionately so much in love with you that they won't be able to stop talking about you, Lord. So, Lord, I'm asking for that kind of supernatural encounter to come. Come now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for that, Lord. Boy, 
I don't really want to talk. <laughs> it's such a wonderful presence of God in the studio right now. But after that event, everything started happening with you and your family. Uh, tell me about the angels that show up with uh, body parts. Yeah, that was different. I'll be honest with you. I'm ministering. My daughter's with me, Tiffany. Uh, we're in a church, and, and I'm ministering. And as I look up, I see, literally, I see an angel come in the back door, and there's a, he, he, it's carrying a platter, like a silver tray kind of platter. And the closer it gets, I'm looking down, and at these particular organs, actually, one of them was a uterus, and one of them was a bladder. And I thought, what is what? And then I real, of course, I suddenly realized, okay, there's healing here. You know, the presence of God for healing is now, and and so I just stopped. You know, because I'm I'm not really a lot into formality, so I just stopped. I said, okay, I think I think healing is happening right now. If you are in this room and you are having an, uh, an issue with your bladder or your uterus, and possibly you're wanting to have kids, I want you to stand up. And so when I did. We had people all over the room stand up just for those two issues, for those body parts. And uh, so we released the ministry team and, and I, and, and we began to pray for them. And I'm going to tell you, when you begin to pray for people in that in that uh, Real quick, there are people that want to stand up that have those two conditions. I, pray for them quickly right now. That's right. So, so in the Holy Spirit, I just ask uh, that your power be released. In Jesus' name, I just release healing into the bladder area, into the urinary tract, and I release healing fire to come to the uterus in Jesus' name. And I command pregnancies to come in Jesus' name uh, into these women that have been longing to have uh, children. So, Holy Spirit, let fire come, healing fire now into the body, uh, into the urinary tract. We release healing. And, Lord, I thank you for releasing healing into the uteruses right now, a hundred percent healing right now, Holy Spirit, for these uh, people right now in Jesus' name. I want to thank you for that, Lord. Amen. Now, my next guest was such a pleasant surprise because I had no idea of the gift of teaching that he had. That really wasn't why. I asked him to be a guest. His name is Nasser Siddiqui, and he was dying. Uh, the, the, the doctor said, actually, uh, the doctors thought he was asleep, and they explained that he wasn't going to recover from this sickness that he had. And Jesus, I, I mean, he's a Muslim. He doesn't believe in Jesus as the Son of God. Jesus comes into his hospital room. And just the presence of Jesus began healing in his body. And Jesus said to him, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, why did Jesus come? Because to the best of his knowledge, when he found out from the doctors that he was dying, he said, God, I don't want to die. And from that one prayer... Jesus came to this dying Muslim, and he said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And uh, Nasser said to himself very quickly, uh, wait a second, it's the God of Abraham, Ishmael. But Jesus was gone. And he had a lot of difficulty seeing Jesus from a Christian perspective as opposed to a Muslim perspective. The one thing Muslims are taught is God has no son. And the next day, he just happens to turn on TV. There just happens to be a television program explaining all of these questions. He gets down on his knees and he accepts the Lord. He goes back to the doctors. He's totally uh see he was well enough to get out of the hospital he went from dying the same night to getting out of the hospital then when they checked him out totally healed and he has become such a teacher's teacher uh i've been listening to his tapes on healing and i have to tell you there are very few christians that understand the revelation that this man has especially on once you've been healed 
and then you the symptoms start coming up and he explains the difference between symptoms and sickness every christian in the world should know that let's go to the excerpt from nasser siddiqui my guest nasser siddiqui is red hot for the messiah i mean coming from a muslim background uh and uh uh, in the hospital, dying, overhearing the doctor saying he has no chance, Jesus came into his bedroom, and the healing process began. Uh, and he has seen so many miracles in his own family and among other people, and he wants to see other people healed. And you, you and I were discussing uh, about Kenneth Hagen uh, and how he got so many people healed. Would you repeat that to, to me? Or what he would do when he had his healing and all faith crusades, he would teach the word Monday morning, Monday night, Tuesday, same thing, Wednesday, Thursday, same thing. And he would tell people, you must sit under the word. I'm not just going to pray for you. I'm going to give you the word. But people don't want that. People want, just lay your hands on me. <laughs> that's that's all I want. Stop the music. Stop the worship. Stop the teaching. Yes. And then only those that attended those teaching sessions would he lay hands on on Friday, the last night. And he had every single person healed. They would get up out of wheelchairs. They would leave their walkers on the... Did you see this with your own eyes? Yes, I saw it with my own eyes. And not only did they get healed, but what was the exciting thing was they had so much word in them that they kept their healing. And isn't that what happened to you and your wife, Anita? Yes, that's exactly what happened. Symptoms of shingles tried to get back on me. Symptoms of MS tried to get back on my wife. But we were grounded in the Word. We listened to the Word 24 hours a day. But, but wait a second. Let's take your wife, for example. She was, if, you, if I understood you right, she was completely paralyzed. Yes. Uh, from the neck down. Uh, and she, and she uh, it was on her right side. but was On her right side. And she lost her eyesight and her hands and her feet were twisted. So I imagine she couldn't even, she couldn't walk. She couldn't get to the bathroom. She Did you have to carry her around? I had to carry her. We had to have uh, someone come in constantly at the house to take care of her 24 hours a day. But can you imagine when those symptoms tried to come back on Anita? And, I mean, I could picture her having a picture in her head of the way she was. And, and it, it had to be a fight. Uh, how strong was she? Well, at the beginning, all she was thinking about was what the doctor said, that she would lose her organs and that she would have to be in a wheelchair for the rest of her life. But then as she listened to the word, listened to the word on those tapes and those CDs, constantly she realized that Jesus carried every sickness and every disease, and she didn't need to. Then she started having thoughts of playing tennis. Hmm. Crippled blind, paralyzed, and you're thinking about playing tennis. Why? Because she put her trust. She must have known she'd be healed because you don't think about playing tennis when you're in that condition. But actually, my question was, when those symptoms came back, she still must have had pictures in her head of the way she was. Yes. Uh, and how did she deal with that? When, because of the word in her, she realized that the symptoms of MS were not the sickness of MS. And so she... Say that again, because I think some people missed it. Um, she realized that the symptoms of multiple sclerosis were not the sickness of multiple sclerosis. And once she came to that revelation, she dealt with the symptoms so she didn't have to deal with the sickness. But uh, how many people are healed because of the strong anointing and a word of knowledge. And then those symptoms come back as they try to do with you, as they try to do with your wife, and they, they don't know what to do. And what happens is that they are fooled in their mind to think that the sickness is back when it was just the symptoms that were back. And then they 
start saying, well, I guess I didn't get healed, or I guess the sickness is back, and that opens the door for the entire sickness to come back. How important, in your opinion, is worship? I look at Benny Hinn, and I say to myself, when I observe him, the worship is almost his key for the anointing, which then gets people healed. So how important is worship in this whole process of receiving your healing? The worship is really important to receive the anointing for the healing, but the Word is what's going to make you keep your healing. So you really need both. Yes. You need the anointing and you need the Word. The anointing will heal you, but the Word will keep you healed. Nasser, yes. have you, now, now to me, any healing is a miracle, but have you ever seen what are known as the messianic miracles, someone being risen from the dead? Yes, Sid. What happened was that I was living in Tulsa. I got a call that my brother, Asif, was in London, England, in Westminster Hospital, and the call that I got was from my sister that he had died, and we started praying because you've got to remember that I came from a Muslim background, so my brother was a Muslim. And so we started praying and standing on the scriptures, and as we were praying, the Holy Spirit said, you and your household shall be saved. And so we prayed, prayed, prayed. The next thing I heard, his body came back to life in the morgue. And they brought him back to intensive care. I got on a plane, flew over to England, And there he was with wires and tubes all over him. That was just a miracle of God. Laid hands on him. And after several days, he came out of the coma and he started to share. And he said, I died. And I said, Asif, I know you died. I saw the report. The doctors told me you died. But how do you know you died? And he started describing, said, what he saw. What did he see? He he had left his body. He was looking down. He saw his body on a stretcher. He saw the doctors around him trying to revive his heart. He had overdosed on morphine. His heart had stopped. And when they could not revive his heart, he saw this with his own eyes, that they put a sheet over him, put him in the elevator and took him down to the morgue, which was in the basement of that hospital, and left him there. And the next thing he saw, he was falling in a very, very dark hole. Uh, Because he was uh, Muslim and did not know the Lord at that time. Exactly. And he was going down, 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 and he would look to either side, and there were creatures, ugly creatures. And he was even uh, uh, terrified to describe them because you could see that fear in his eyes. And as he was going further and further down, he finally he looked up, and there he saw a cross. I said, what do you mean a cross? He says, you know the cross that Jesus was on. And I said, yes, 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 you saw Jesus on the cross. He said, no. I saw myself on the cross. What does this mean? Well, the Lord prompted me to share the scriptures with him that the wages of sin are death. We all deserve to be on the cross because we've all sinned unless we accept what Jesus did, which was to take all of our sins when he went to the cross. And as I started to describe that, my brother gave his life to the Lord. Now, I don't think your brother would have given his life to the Lord if he hadn't experienced that miracle. Yes. And that's what we were talking about on yesterday's broadcast. We're coming in to a very, very challenging time for the world. But isn't that going to be God's greatest opportunity for evangelism? And and I believe that if others can do what you can do, we can make an impact on the kingdom of heaven. Is there any doubt in your mind? Are you, are you someone special? Do you have special gifts from God? No, no, no. I'm just a, 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 an ex-Muslim that got hungry for Jesus and hungry for the word and kept studying the word and I'm still studying the word today because I know that heaven and earth will pass, but his word will never pass. 
and it has just as much power today to work in our lives as it had when Jesus walked the earth. And someone says to you right now, yes, but I prayed and prayed and it's been years and I'm not healed. Yes. The key was not just praying. The key was building your faith by hearing the word. How many people miss that and say, well, God, you have the ability to heal me. Why aren't you doing it? Because the scripture says that it, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And they'd say, well, I believe. Uh, yes, you can tell what someone believes by their thoughts, their words, and their actions. And you can see them talking about their sickness all day and then claiming they believe in healing. So it sounds to me like that's what James was talking about when he talked about being double-minded. Absolutely. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when you listen to someone's words, you soon get an idea of what they believe. Uh, did you see the movie Fireproof? It was the number one independent film in 2008. Well, the man that sang and wrote the theme music, While I'm Waiting, do you remember that? His name is John Waller. Well, I got a whole, I didn't see Fireproof. I didn't, I mean, I'd heard of the film, but that was about it. But I got a hold of his new CD, Our God Reigns, and the anointing was so high on this CD that I said, I've got to have him as a guest. And then when I interviewed him, I found out when he was age 12, he fell for a trick by the devil. He was depressed over his losing his first girlfriend. And his mother had chronic depression. His grandmother had chronic depression. And he heard his mother say when he got just a little depressed because he lost his first girlfriend, he's got it. And then the doctor concurred, and that resulted in 20 years of chronic depression. But he got healed, and when he sings, there's such a pre And you're, you're going to hear this song, Our God Reigns. Let's go to the excerpt with John Waller. We want everyone everywhere to experience true joy. And the only way you can experience true joy is to be in the Messiah having him lowered over every area of your life, there is nothing to compare to that. My guest, John Waller, knows what I'm talking about. Some of you are familiar with him. In fact, many of you are familiar with uh, John Waller. If you saw the movie Fireproof, which was the number one independent movie in 2008, uh, the theme song of Fireproof, which was While I'm Waiting, that was John Waller. And it's very, very interesting how he wrote that song. It had nothing to do with the movie. But I just listened to uh, his brand new CD called As For Me and My House, and I can't listen to it enough. Uh, John Waller, you're getting so not just this one, but uh, your other CDs, which we'll make available. You're, you're literally... I, well, I told you before we even got on the air that I believe that when people hear uh, the first cut of this brand new CD, As For Me and My House, that they're going to be healed and delivered and set free in an amazing fashion. Uh, what has the Spirit of God told you because it's new about this? Well, that's exactly what uh, I've been told for quite some time now, you know, just prophetic words about this music uh, going out and and healing people. It's the Word of God. I, I pretty much uh, plagiarize the Word of God. I take the Word of God and I put it to music because I know there's power in the Word of God, and when it goes out, it doesn't return void. But, but I believe there is a prophetic voice that is in some of these songs, particularly uh, Our God Reigns Here. That is an, uh, an incredible declaration, and it also it, it, it empowers the body of Christ to use the authority they've been given uh, in the Messiah, in Yeshua, to be able to, to come against any uh, spirit of the enemy that, that, is, that is tormenting them. And, and I can, you know, we'll get to it later, but, but you know, I, for years, suffered uh, from depression. So I know what tormenting spirits are like. 
And so I'm, I'm just thankful for the opportunity that, that, that it is going to go out uh, through your program. Well, I, you know what? Before we even get into the interview, I want to hear that. I personally want to hear that again. As a matter of fact, John, um, I, I was thinking of just doing some sort of a, uh, a CD loop and, and just playing that uh, whenever I'm not in my home. So when I get into my home, the atmosphere will be the cleanest it possibly could be. That is an atmosphere changer, that song. Okay, I want you to hear this and see if whether you agree with us or not.
that was Our God Reigns by John Waller. And you're familiar with him if you saw the movie Fireproof, uh, because he wrote the theme music of that, which is called While I'm Waiting. Uh, and uh, if you like that music, you'll like all of his music. As a matter of fact, uh, John Waller, you uh, uh, when you were in college, you told me, you memorized a lot of scripture. Uh, why did you do it then? Well, I had a I had a roommate. Uh, I was a freshman, and my roommate was a senior. Had been walking with the Lord for for quite a few years, and and he taught me how to systematically uh, memorize Scripture and how to hide the, the Word of God in my heart, and how important that was. And so, you know, he just told me I should do it. So I was like, okay, I'll do it. And I began to memorize. Uh, so many verses, and by the end of my freshman year, I'd memorized, you know, probably over 150 verses. And so when I began, and I started writing songs that year, uh, my freshman year in college, so the Word of God would just naturally come out. It's what you put in comes out. And uh, we're going to be making three CDs available. One is the brand new one that I am just raving about, as for me and my house. And the second is called while I'm waiting, and of course that was the theme song uh, from the movie Fireproof, and the third is the Fireproof movie soundtrack, and we're making all three available for a gift of thirty dollars. Uh, John, when you were uh, seventeen, you had an encounter with the Lord, uh, and you understood true repentance. I think that's a word that's not really mentioned that much anymore it's not it's uh in fact i you know i was raised uh in a, in a southern baptist church and and my understanding you know of the gospel and salvation was simply more of a of a fire insurance kind of approach it was uh you know just you know just confess that jesus is lord you know and be baptized and that's pretty much it and, and yet uh you know lives uh aren't changed. I mean, and what is the, what's the problem? The problem is there's there's no repentance. And Jesus taught repentance. I mean, you you take up your cross, you die to yourself, and you follow Him. You know, and and I had never done that. I had prayed this simple prayer and I'd been baptized, yet my life had never reflected any fruit. And yet uh, Jesus said, you know, a, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. And yet my life had no fruit. And so I understood that for the first time as as a 17 year old young man and and I decided you know what lord okay I've never really followed you so I don't know you and you don't and so I, I gave my life to him at 17 and, and and I've never looked back can you imagine what your life would have been like with all that you went through and we'll find out on tomorrow's broadcast if you hadn't had the word hidden in your heart mm, I, I don't even want to think about where <laughs> I, I understand my next guest has been a guest previously. His name is Joel Richardson. As far as I'm concerned, he has the best, the best understanding of end times. Uh, and, of course, his understanding is not a brand new understanding, but we haven't heard it. I mean, everyone has heard the left behind understanding of the end of time. But his was the ancient understanding. And it makes more sense than anything I've ever heard. Now, of course, we've interviewed him and others before on the same subject. But I found out, I was looking the Internet, and I found out that there is a movie that was produced by Iran. It's called The Return is Near. And it states, undeniably, what their plans are for the last days. And it reminds me of Adolf Hitler. When he was in prison, he wrote his autobiography. It was called Mein Kampf. And in it, he stated what he was going to do with the Jewish people. And he did what he stated, but no one believed him back then. Well, I was outraged when I saw this movie. And uh, actually, when I interviewed uh, Joel on the radio, I had not seen it. But then I saw it afterwards. And the, the fervor that these young Muslims have to kill anyone Jewish, anyone Christian, um, it, it's, it, it's pretty scary. So I wanted Joel to explain exactly what the intent 
of Iran is for Christians and Jews and the nation Israel. Let's go to Joel Richardson. Joel, uh, we were talking about uh, that there seems to be almost a seeker-sensitive element within the church that refuses to call God by the name he says he should be known as forever, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not the God of Abraham and Ishmael. It's Abraham and Isaac. Uh, and why is it so important within Islam to have the mantra, if you will, God has no son? The religion of Islam said more than any other religion that has ever come forth in the earth is literally a direct polemic, a direct attack, a frontal assault against all of the essential doctrines that are laid out in the Bible with regard to how God reveals himself and with regard to those doctrines that are necessary for salvation. So, for instance, uh, in 1 John 2.22, John the Apostle lays out the doctrines, the belief systems of the Antichrist. It says he denies the Father and the Son. He denies the fatherhood of God, the divine sonship of Jesus. And this idea, Sid, is again, I say the... But wait a second. Uh, does uh, Islam deny the fatherhood of God? They pray to God. They pray to God, but they would never call him Father. In fact, Sid, there are... Protestant uh, translations of the Bible, and they call them Muslim-friendly translations. They are removing any reference to the name of God as Father or any reference to God as Father. That's all part of the seeker-sensitive movement of uh, let's all get along and everything will be taken care of with cheap grace. Well, grace was not cheap. It was extravagant. <laughs> the Messiah died the most horrific death that anyone could die, bearing our sins, bearing all of our diseases. Um, it is not a cheap grace. But th tell me about this Chrislam, which is where we're headed. Chrislam is one of the greatest heretical movements to have emerged on the scene in, 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 in recent uh, centuries. And really, it's, it's the, the extreme end of a spectrum, which begins with something called the insider movement. And what the insider movement is, it's a methodology, it's an approach to evangelizing or reaching Muslims, which is absolutely sweeping the Christian missionary movement. And what these insiders will do is they'll say things like, um, don't ever call yourself a Christian. In fact, they'll say, I am not a Christian, because they want to separate themselves from uh, the you know, crusaders or Christian televangelists. They'll say... I am, in fact, a Muslim. And they'll say, well, Muslim only means one who is submitted to, to God. And, in fact, as a, as a follower of Isa, they won't say Jesus. They'll use the Quranic name. They'll say, I'm a follower of Isa, and I'm a Muslim. They will encourage people to pray Muslim prayers. But, but Esau, based on the Quran, is not the same Jesus based on the Bible. They're different people. Absolutely. The Jesus of the Quran, the Isa of the Quran... He comes back uh, to tell the Christians of the world that they've had it wrong all along, that he never claimed to be the Son of God, mm. that he was not divine, and said he comes back to kill Jews, because according to Muslims, Jews are the people of Satan. They might use the name Jesus for our sake to try to evangelize us, but they do not believe in the same Jesus that we believe in. You have Christian missionaries that are actually using these, even the mo one of the most widely known preachers in the United States at the inauguration recently, he prayed, he said, in the name of Yeshua, Jesus, and Isa. The Isa of the Quran is blasphemous with regard to biblical faith. So there is this uh, compromise. Now, the intent is honorable to win Muslims to the Lord, but this compromise, you indicate... Uh, that they're apt to even take the mark of the beast. Yes, it. And, and let me just let me back up just a hair. Uh, what a lot of people will say, because you know this this issue comes up, they'll say, well, what about messianic Judaism? There is a vast difference between reaching the Jewish people who desire to maintain their ethnicity as Jews. Okay, that's messianic Judaism. They maintain their ethnicity as Jews. And the fact of the matter is that the Christian faith 
its foundations are thoroughly, absolutely, completely, wholeheartedly Jewish. And so when someone uh, you know, begins to embrace their Jewish roots as a believer, that's completely, in fact, that's, that's exactly what the Bible desires of Christian believers. But when a Christian begins to embrace the rituals and the sayings and the doctrines of Islam, this is something entirely, entirely different. So that needs to be clarified. You actually have, Sid, people that leave and they're sent by missionary organizations, and when they come back, they would say, I'm not a Christian, I'm a Muslim. Yes, I'm a follower of Isa, and even some of them are leaving the faith. I have friends that are involved in, in these different groups, and you know, they get emails from wives saying, what do I do? My husband has converted to Islam. Well, you know, all you have to do is remove the understanding of the deity of Jesus, remove the fact that God has no son, and you're going to have unity. I'm wondering if this is not a forerunner of the one world religion, this thing you've uncovered. I believe, I believe in many ways it is, Sid. And again, this essential revelation, the idea that God himself would condescend and take on flesh and suffering and embrace the cross, that is the fullness revelation of who the God of the Bible is. He is the self-revealing, man-befriending God. There is no depth and no degree that he wouldn't go for us to reach us. The God of Islam is an insecure, distant God. He is not a father. He is not the one that comes down, that draws near to us. That is an issue which is worth standing on. The spirit of the age, the, the uh, ecumenical spirit of the age, the religious pluralism is really the religion that's being pushed, says that we all worship the same God. You even have Christian missionaries that are agreeing with that. You have Orthodox rabbis that are agreeing with that. They're desiring to turn the Temple Mount into a house of prayer for all nations, saying that we will all come together and worship the one true God there. Sid, this is a forerunner of the coming one world antichrist religion. Okay, what, in your opinion, is the mark of the beast? And where will the beast come from, by the way? And who is the beast? Sid, the beast is both the antichrist as well as his empire. So what we will have is the coming together of an economic system, a religious system, the mark of the beast, the number of the beast, the name of the beast, even the image of the beast. These are all realities that are pointing to the coming of uh, there will be a demand on the peoples of the earth to submit to this coming religious economic system. That will be the system of the beast. And in fact, Islam has something within its... Theme. Wait a second. I've been trying to figure out why so many moves by our administration are weakening our economic system. Could this be part of a, an overall strategy to level the playing field so that that Islamic uh, idea will come into being? Well, it's certainly uh, putting us in, an, in a very vulnerable place. Sid. The weaker we are economically, the more we are beholden to these emerging uh, regional economic blocks, such as what could come to be the Middle Eastern Union. Uh, so certainly in the days to come, we, we probably will see ourselves giving ourselves over to that type of system. Now let me just say, within Islamic theology, there is something that is called the bayah. This is the Pledge of Allegiance. So if there is a revived caliphate and a caliph, which again is the Pope, President, and General of the Islamic world, every Muslim will be obligated to make the bayah, the Pledge of Allegiance to the caliph. Islamic theology says if someone does not do that, they will be beheaded. Now let me just add this about the mark of the beast. That we've talked about how Islamic eschatology is a perfect mirror of Christian and biblical uh, eschatology, end-time views. When we talk about the mark of the beast, Muslims also have a teaching about this. They say that at the end of the age, there will be a literal beast, a real beast, sort of a, a monster of some sorts, that will come up out of the earth from the city of Mecca. Now again, the Bible says in Revelation 13, the beast comes up out of the earth. Again, that's an empire. Muslims take this literally. They say the beast comes out of the earth from Mecca, and he marks the foreheads of all true Muslim believers 
though, said from an Islamic perspective, Muslims want to receive the mark of the beast. This is, this is stunning. And they can't buy or sell unless they have the mark of the beast? Islamic Sharia law, again, which would clearly be in place under an Islamic caliphate, would hold that if you are not a Muslim, uh, if you are a Christian or a Jew or anything else, then you would obviously not make the pledge of allegiance to the caliph, and thus you would be chased down, uh, hunted, or beheaded. It's, it's, Sharia law is an economic system that will be coming against the, the non-Muslims of the world in the days to come. When all of your years of study and revelation came together and you began to see the prophetic hand of God wrapping everything up, and it's making so much sense when we listen to your teaching, what did you think? Did you think that we're really in the last of the last days? said I do. I, I legitimately believe that we are, are closer than we ever have. And, and you know, to be honest, I get excited by that because what we need to remember is that the end times, from a biblical perspective, it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of humanity, Sid. The end, the end that is coming is the end of corrupt political leaders. It's the end of disease. It's the end of death. It's the end of the gross human trafficking. Yeah, I know, but I look at it even a different way. I look at it as the greatest time of the harvest of souls in the history of the world. And my last guest, probably the most important guest of the group, Shira Sakharov. I've known Shira for over 30 years, 44 years ago. Interestingly enough, it was just at the time of the Six-Day War when Jerusalem was in Jewish possession for the first time in 2,000 years. Shira went to Israel on a tour and then started doing a documentary. And as a single woman, God called her there. I remember looking at some major newspapers uh, a number of years ago, and her picture was there because... Her, her apartment was firebombed for sharing the gospel. And when she was back in Israel, I asked her to describe what it was like. But all those are not the reasons I interviewed her. The reason I interviewed her is in September, the UN is going to have a vote concerning Israel that I believe will have a dramatic effect on the United States of America. Let's go to that excerpt from Shira Sakharov. My guest, Shira Sakharam, I've known for many years. I personally read her newsletter. I think it's the best newsletter from the Middle East. And she is a walking history because 40 years ago, in 1967, she went to Israel and she's been there for 40 years. It happened to be right at the Six-Day War. And then they had the Independence Day celebration. I've been in Israel for Independence Day. Everyone goes out in the streets and they uh, act just uh, a little mashuga. Is that is that right, Shira Sakharam? A little crazy. <laughs> well, it's it's uh, it's completely Israel. It's not like anything else. You know, the soldiers and the people get. Uh, get out in the streets and they dance in circles, especially up in Jerusalem. Um, yeah, it's it's a happy time, but it's not it's not a like a bad time. They're not no. doing crazy things like you know the carnival. But what I'm saying is they get so excited. I mean, it's a happening, is what I'm saying. Right. Right. And, and um, uh, so you you were talking about that first. Uh, celebration just after the Western Wall was in Jewish hands for the first time in how long? Uh, well, since uh, 70 uh, A.D. Wow. Jerusalem came back into the hands of the Jewish people. That's a long, long time, 1900-some years. So the euphoria must have been over the top at that time. It was. It was. And uh, some of the things uh, that p 
people would say, I couldn't help but be excited about it, even though I knew it wasn't going to happen the way they thought. They were saying things like this. The Jewish people uh, have now shown the Arabs that they can't, that the Arabs can't win. So this is going to be the last war. These are the days of the Messiah. This is the last war. There's never going to be another war because Arabs know they can't win. And there were uh, these little stickers that everybody had on their uh, cars, and it was it said "Kolakavod Litzahal," which means all the honor goes to um, the army. And I knew that <laughs> I knew that wasn't a very smart thing to say. And let me jump six years ahead in 1973 when the terrible Yom Kippur surprise war came against Israel. You didn't see any more uh, all the honor to, to the army. The sign changed. The stickers were different. They said, Israel, trust in God. That was the big difference. But the euphoria lasted for six years. It lasted from 67 to 73 when the terrible Yom Kippur surprise war took when the Arab countries attacked Israel. Uh, were you living there? Uh, it, I mean, were you, I know you were living there, but were you there at the time of, of the uh, 73 war? I was not. My father had passed away, and so I was in the States um, with, with my family at that time. Now, it, when the war took place, oh, I was absolutely stunned, as everybody was, because it was a complete surprise. And I wanted to get back there. I, I, I wanted to get back into Israel. But my, my family asked me that I'd stay a little bit longer with them. So I went back about uh, three months later, and the country was completely different, Sid. In what way? Uh, people were depressed, stunned. From that time on, even violence in the country uh, went, went up. And back in 1967... Yeah, there were there were there were sometimes somebody'd break into a car and steal, but I mean you never heard of of murder or violence. It just didn't happen. It was a remarkable. And I came from Dallas where you couldn't even walk down the streets back in 1967 at night in certain parts of the city. But in Jerusalem you could walk anywhere at any time. It was a really interesting um change in culture. But 73 happened, and our country, Israel, started going downhill. It's never recovered since then. Mm. Now, looking, remembering what Israel was like 40 years ago, and looking at Jerusalem, looking at Tel Aviv, would you have ever thought it would make that kind of transition? No, it's it's completely... Impossible to figure how this has happened. Here is Israel, surrounded completely by those who want to destroy the country, and yet the uh, the economy booms. Uh, skyscrapers are going up. Uh, the 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 shekel, our our money is stronger than the dollar. I mean, can you imagine? Well, listen, I wish all of my money was in shekels rather than dollars. I know what's going on with the Israeli shekel, with all the deal with Iran and all these nations. I mean, nothing has changed. It's uh, it's, it's still uh, an impossible situation, and yet Israel is prospering. It's a startup nation. It's a startup nation. It has more startups per a person than any country in the world. It's a remarkable uh, sign to me that God has not left the Jewish people. They, they, you know, I know that Jewish people are brilliant, but they're not that brilliant. I mean, this is amazing that this nation is growing. It is so much uh, a, a higher standard of living than any nation around it, and yet it has to defend itself against total destruction every moment of every day. Now, uh, going back to the Yom Kippur War in 1973, I have heard many accounts of miraculous things that occurred for Israel to have won that war. Oh, it is. It is. I think the war lasted 19 days, uh, and, you know, the Syria 
was was on its way into northern Galilee. The Jordanians um, actually stayed out of the war, that, that, which was very smart of them, by the way. But Egypt attacked uh, and came up to Sinai, uh, and it it could have gone either way. It could have gone either way. When you have those two large armies uh, doing a pincher act against Israel, it is amazing and miraculous. Uh, there's there's many many stories. There was one fellow that had a um, that was in a tank going up the Golan Heights and. Um, his his unit, all the rest of the tanks were knocked out by the Syrians, and he took this tank and zigzagged it up the Golan Heights, and it was at night, so the the the, the Syrians thought it was several tanks. You know, they 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 couldn't imagine that this is one tank. It was finally blown out. He found a couple of other tanks twice. He changed tanks and went zigzagging all over the place. You know. Of, uh, with 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 his tank and knocking positions of the Syrians out, and he is today one of Israel's greatest heroes. I do not believe this man could have done this without the hand of God, because the Syrians were coming down the Golan Heights; they were ready to take over the um, Galilee, and you know what that would have been? That would have been a slaughter of all the Jewish people in the Galilee area, which did not happen. Uh, to me, the greatest uh, uh, reality that our God is interested in us as individuals is the, is the creation of modern-day Israel and the survival of modern-day Israel. Yes. I, I mean, there's, there is no other explanation to why Israel exists. So that begs the question, here you have Iran. Iran wants to nuke, it's very obvious, wants to nuke Israel. How, how do you live under that pressure? Uh, as a believer, I know how you live. But how does a non-believer live under that pressure? I want you to know that Israelis are very, very fearful. They know what Iran is saying she's going to do. Uh, Iran, uh, Ahmadinejad, is talking exactly like Hitler did, exactly. And back in Hitler's day, Israel. this is what Israel says. The, the nations did not take him seriously, and they're not taking Ahmadinejad seriously uh, when he says he's going to wipe Israel out. And so there is great fear. There is great, great fear in Israel over this. As a believer... You're obviously concerned. Do you believe he's going to nuke Israel? Well, Israel is very tiny. So I don't see that God is going to let Ahmadinejad uh, nuke Israel. I just don't see how that could happen because it would just it would knock knock the country out, you know, with the radiation. And everything. Uh, you know, sure. I'm much more concerned about the United States than Israel. Because the Bible does talk about what happens to nations that divide the land of Israel. You know, we're out of time right now. I want to remind you of a scripture. It's Psalm 122, verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And then God considers this so holy and so important to him that he says, They shall prosper that love thee. And my friend Derek Prince used to teach on the Hebrew root of the word prosper. And what that means is not necessarily money, not necessarily fame. The word prosper in the, the root meaning from the Hebrew is heart peace. And what is a sign of the last days? A spirit of fear. Can you realize how many people you'll provoke to jealousy, what kind of witness you'll be if you can walk in true heart peace. But that's what God is promising. He says, if you will pray for the peace of Jerusalem, thou shalt have heart peace that love thee. I think I'm going to tap into that heart peace right now.
Because if there has ever been a time in which the devil is trying to stop the return of Jesus, because Jesus himself said, I shall not return until the Jewish people say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Join me in prayer right now. I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I pray, Father God, for a supernatural shield of protection against any weapon formed against Israel. I pray, Father, for supernatural protection over all the Jewish believers in Israel and all the Arab believers in Israel. I pray, Father God, that you would, by your Spirit, raise up a new generation of young Jewish believers. Your word says that the word of the Lord will go out from Zion. And Father God, it's time for the super Jewish evangelists, the Paul the apostles, to be raised up and go to the four corners of the earth with fiery gospel messages of repentance and holiness and power. In the name of Yeshua, I pray. Amen.